Business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's six minutes past 12, nearly seven minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And today I'm really excited to pick up on a show that we did a couple of weeks ago, but didn't have an opportunity to really go through it and to really finish it off today because it's one of those shows and one of those topics that are pertinent to every single person in different ways. Some people more, some people slightly less. Some people just need to tweak. Some people need to start from the very, very beginning. And what really what we're talking about is the dangers of doing things on your own without getting the right advice. And obviously, I'm talking about in a financial context. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome back Hilary Dudley, who's a managing director at Citadel Fiduciary Pro, uh, Pro, sorry, Propriety Limited. Hilary, welcome back to High FM. Avi, thank you so much for inviting me back. Great. And just before I go on, I just want to thank Tabo upfront for the crystal clear line Getting the lines up and running is nothing worse than having an interview that you really want to get your teeth into and then we just can't hear each other. So thanks, Tabo, for getting that all together. Hilary, maybe let's pick up um, by just quickly summarizing what we, what we did last time. So in a nutshell, there was, you know, there's quite a famous international case of Aretha Franklin where the will wasn't done correctly and there were multiple wills found and the bottom line, it was a mess. And we really just, you know, said to our listeners that the most important thing there is to go and get the world done by somebody or a organization that knows what they're doing. Once you've done that, what are the most important items to take care of besides the standard regular ones? Well, with regard to giving instructions relating to your will, Avi, I guess it's important for you to know what you want and what you own. Uh, So once you've identified someone that can work with you and give you good advice, you need to arrive for the consultation or the interaction knowing your wishes and also what your assets are. Because if you're not aware of what your assets are, then the professional who's helping you can't give uh, as good advice as they would be able to if they knew more about what are your assets, where are they held, in which country are they held, and so on. So it's important to have those things all to hand in order to get the best from the interaction. And then once the world's drafted to your uh, wishes and you're happy with it, it's really important to get it signed properly as well. There was something that I was going to get to at the end, but I'll tell you what, we need to quickly take a run to the to the shops just to make sure we can keep paying for this show. Give me one moment. Let's quickly run to the ads. We'll be back in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome to 101.9 Chayef and welcome back. I should say 12 minutes past 12. On the line with me is Hilary Dudley, Managing Director at Citadel Fiduciary. Hilary, we were talking about wills and the importance of signing a will. Is it really necessary to sign it if it's clearly been done by you? It's on your computer. It's got all your family names there. Why do I need to sign it? Avi, that's a requirement in terms of the Wills Act, and it's for the protection of the person whose will it is. Essentially, the very strict rules around the signing of a will, 
to make sure that it is in fact the person's last will, that they had the mental capacity to understand what they were signing and also that there was no fraud or undue influence. So it's a question that's come up more and more as we move towards a paperless way of working. People query, why do I need an original signed document when in so many instances a scanned copy will suffice? Unfortunately, that's not the case with a will. When someone dies, we have to submit an original will to the master of the high court in order to commence the administration of their estate. And if the original has been lost, but there's a copy available, you can make an application to the high court in order to have the copy declared and to be accepted as a valid will. So it's, it's a bit of a different way of working than how we work in other respects in the modern age with technology. The will is the thing where you do need to have a signed original document, unfortunately. And so it's really important to make sure that once your will is drafted, it's correctly executed and then kept in a safe place so that the original doesn't get lost or destroyed. That being said, if if you do die without having signed the will, Again, the family can bring an application to court and provided they can approve that you intended it to be your last will, then the court could accept that it's your will even if it's not signed. But again, it complicates things. It means involving an attorney and an advocate and paying legal costs, which you wouldn't need to pay if it was just signed properly and kept safe in the first place. Um, Hilary, that's one thing I want to discuss with you is keeping it safe. I mean, these days, very few people have files anymore. Um, and if they do, stuff's not updated and it's often very, very antiquated. A lot of people have iCloud and, and different, um, you know, sort of remote servers to keep things. If one, if I had to come into your office together with my wife and do a will and you said to me, keep it safe. And I said to you, but can you help me? What solutions do you have for that? Absolutely, Avi. At here at Citadel, we do keep clients' wills in safe custody. So we have a safe custody facility where we store the original wills. And you'll find with most service providers that is the case. They do have a facility to do that for clients, whether it's on-site in their offices or they might perhaps engage a third-party service provider to store the document safely. When it comes to the banks, you'll normally find that they charge for that service. So although a bank might not charge to actually prepare the will and help you sign it, they'll normally debit your account on an annual basis with a fee for keeping the will in safe custody, whereas lawyers and other service providers tend to charge for preparing the will and then they'll store it in safe custody without charging you for it. So it's important to check when you do engage with a professional to assist you with your will, whether they can offer that facility of keeping the original safe for you, and if so, whether there will be a cost and how that will be paid. You know, my experience has been that the cost is really nominal. Um, it's, it's if a couple of hundred rand a year maximum. It's not an expensive thing. As you said, it gets debited off your account from time to time. And then at least you've got peace of mind that go after, but should the worst scenario happen, somebody somewhere or some organization somewhere has got the original and it's there to be executed. 
Absolutely, Avi. And it's also important that your family knows where that original will is because there's no mechanism in South Africa where a record is kept of whether someone has a will and where it's stored. There's no central database for wills. So it's really important that you have in your records some kind of indication for your family as to where your will is, who is holding it. Or um, actually give them a copy with all the details, discuss it and make sure they're aware of where your will is. Often if people deal with an attorney or some other provider once off and they don't have an ongoing relationship, the attorney holding the will might not be aware of when you die. So it's important that the family knows who to go to to commence the process. I think that's really one of the most important factors is that if you play your cards too close to your chest um, until you no longer have a chest to play them close to, then all of a sudden everything gets revealed. No one really knows what's going on, what to expect. I suppose one doesn't have to divulge all the contents of the world, but at least let people, loved ones, know where the will is, who's holding it, who the responsible people are, so that they can start the mechanism to get it executed. Yes, quite correct. It depends on the family. As you quite rightly say, some families are not as open as other families, and that's absolutely fine. There is no uh, reason to divulge the contents if you don't wish to do so. But as you said, at least let the family know who should they contact after your death, who uh, can assist with the estate administration process. It's essential. Otherwise, you'll find the family scrambling around trying to find the original will, and it can become quite problematic. Hilary, before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of the areas of the will that one should have, just the questions come through. Someone says, I've got property overseas that I inherited, which I have a title deed to. Do I need to mention that in my South African will, or do I need a separate will for that? That's an excellent question, Avi. At Citadel, our house view is that it's preferable to have one worldwide will dealing with all of your assets. It just simplifies things and it makes sure that you don't unintentionally revoke a will. Because remember, each time you sign a new will, you revoke your previous will. Right. And if your service provider, the person who's helping you, is not aware of other wills, they might draft a will where you unintentionally revoke other wills. So to keep it simple, we prefer one worldwide will. However, our view is that when you have immovable property in another jurisdiction, that is an exception to the rule where you definitely want an attorney or notary in the country where the property is situated to help you prepare a will for that country. And that will can cover all of the assets in that country and the main reason that we recommend that is the property laws are quite different, in, in particularly in Europe, and also the, the airship rules, how you inherit, can be quite different in Europe. And so we advise it's better to go to someone who's qualified in that country to give you the best advice, and you can appoint them to execute that will. They know the ropes. If it's a country where English is not the first language, you'll have someone who is able to deal with the officials and authorities in the country correctly in the right language. So that is definitely an exception where we recommend you have a will, say, in Portugal or Spain 
Israel, wherever you hold the property. But then you need to make sure that your South African advisor is aware of that will and that the will you prepare uh, here covers all jurisdictions except for that other country. So it's very important that you always make sure that your advisors are aware of your other will and they don't do anything to jeopardize your other will. Okay. Hillary, we've got a, a very interesting question about um, someone's titled it Executor Nightmare. I'll read it to you in a moment. Let's just quickly go to an adverts. I'll be back in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. It's Avion Business. It's 24 minutes past 12. And on the line with me is Hilary Dudley, who's the director or the managing director, sorry, at, at, um, at Citadel Fiduciary. Hilary, sorry, I just demoted you there. I hope no one else heard that. Eh? Um, no problem. <laughs> Hilary, if a very, if Sandra sends us email, I can almost see the tears, the, the SMS, I can almost see the tears coming through. My late husband passed away and left his best friend, who's a chartered accountant, as the executor. When the will was read, I looked at him and said, what are you going to do? And his answer was, I have no idea. I have never done one of these before. The rest is history. It took us three years, a huge amount of money, and um, I'm asking you, what should people do to avoid this in the future? RV, that's a common issue, unfortunately. But the guy's a chartered accountant. Yes, but that doesn't mean that he necessarily has the experience in winding up a deceased state. And that doesn't, doesn't only relate to the knowledge of the law and the process, but the practical process as well. Because the people who do it regularly as a regular part of their business will know how to do it most efficiently in order to get the best results. So they'll know the process to deal with SARS or to get certificates of balance from the different banks or other financial institutions. So it's not a matter of someone who hasn't done it before being unable to do it because the Administration of Estates Act (laughs) very, very clearly sets out the process but it's knowing the shortcuts, it's knowing how to do things efficiently that perhaps give people who do it regularly the advantage and the ability to do it more quickly. But in that situation, even if a chartered accountant was nominated as the executor, doesn't mean that he had to do the work himself because it's very common for someone to be nominated and then appoint an agent to do the work on their behalf. And then the individual can go to someone who's experienced and qualified and engage them to do the actual work. So if you're nominated as an executor, it doesn't mean you have to personally do the process yourself. And I think that's an important thing to be aware of. People have different views around who to nominate. So you'll have certain individuals who say, I would like to nominate a friend or family member alone and then leave it up to them which professional to choose. And often the reason people do that is to give the friend or family member the ability to negotiate to get discounted fees because, of course, there is a fee that is charged to do this process. The the problem with with leaving an important decision up to your friend or family member is that you then have no control over who they choose and whether the person they choose is well-equipped to do the work. 
So the other thing people often do will be to choose only a professional. So they will identify someone that they trust and that they, they're happy will work with their family. I normally recommend, and at Citadel we normally recommend a combination of the two. So have a friend or family member with the professional and they can work together to make sure that the best outcome is achieved for your family. You know, I was, I was waiting for you to say that because I had a personal scenario where um, there was a, a lady passed away. She had um, heirs, but they were overseas, and she left the bank as the executor. And uh, the family friends were quite upset because they were lawyers and they wanted to get the job. And I was very skeptical as to how it was happened to be Standard Bank was going to handle this, especially when I got involved and I see that the ladies there were, they were, they were getting close to retirement. Let's put it that way. But the moment the process started, the sense of confidence, the sense of professionalism, the sense of, as you said, knowing exactly how to do the job was absolutely apparent. And then what came into play was that the other executor was a friend. So whenever the bank needed something personal from the house, the friend simply went to the house and got the documents without there being an inefficiency creeping in about the bank having to nominate someone to go and fetch it. So it really, really worked efficiently. And um, to me, it was quite an eye-opener. Yes, yes, it does work well. Um, because the per, the friend or family member knows the dynamics and the family and can assist the professional who might not have that level of insight or knowledge to make sure that things are done as best possible for the family, taking into account all the family's personal circumstances. Um, Hilary, have you got a few more minutes to stay with us? Absolutely. Okay, great. Son, a lot of SMSs are coming through. So this is, again, another one of those screaming for help. A lady's written here, and I'll just summarize it, that she's drafted a will, um, and she's left her husband, obviously, as the guardian of the children. And it seems to me that she's not well. So, you know, she's sort of preempting what's going to happen. Um, she mentions in the SMS that she's worried that her husband will enter into a relationship where that person will then be able to get their hands on her children's money. Should she rather leave all the money to her husband or should she leave it to her children via trust? I there are various things to take into account the, um, and perhaps the best Middle ground between those two options is to leave the money to a trust over which her husband has the rights of use. Um, because remember, you have to take into consideration things like estate duty too. And if you leave your assets to a spouse, so if she left her assets to her husband, there would be no estate duty. Right. Because any inheritance received from a spouse is exempt from estate duty at the moment, regardless of the value of the estate. Whereas when you leave your estate to other people like children, you only get the first three and a half million rand exempt. So that's something to take into account. The other issue to take into account is are the costs of running a trust merited because that also doesn't come for nothing. If you have professional trustees, they will charge a fee. The trust needs to have financial statements drafted. It needs to submit a tax return, and then an accountant would need to do that work, and again, that would entail a cost. So it's really important to take into account all of these kinds of issues when deciding how best to structure and plan your estate. 
but but a trust is definitely a mechanism to ensure that the children's inheritance is safeguarded and protected. And as I say, if the spouse, if the husband has a right to use the assets in the trust, you could get an estate duty deduction too. So you could get the best of both. But again, those kind of concerns should be raised with the professional that you're consulting with for them to take you through all the various scenarios and what are the positives and negatives of each. You know, Hillary, just in my experience, you know, uh, as financial planners, we get bombarded by different trust companies, by different organizations. Please use us to draft the will. He has a template, da-da-da-da-da, just fill in the details and we'll do the rest. And I've always shied away from that simply because I feel that this is most probably the most important document that a person has that will speak for them when they're not here. Spend the time to draft it correctly with somebody who can guide you past all the pitfalls, avoid all the cliffs, so that you've got peace of mind that even if you don't update your will in 20 years, because you don't move house, you don't get more assets, you don't get married, you don't have more children, at least you know it's still the principles are still there. If you cut corners, there will always be shortfalls. Yes, I mean, that's very sound advice. Um, to have something structured properly is, as you say, you can have a will, a good will in place for years. And I'll give you a personal example. When my father passed away, his will was 30 years old, but it still worked. And everything was done efficiently and smoothly because it had been so well drafted in the first place. So even though circumstances had changed, people wow. had changed, assets had changed, it still was able to be implemented. And that's what you'll get if you deal with someone who's professional and knows what they're doing. They'll be able to help you scenario plan to take into account various changes in your life. But at the end of the day, you'll still have a good structure to help govern everything. Hilary, just before I let you go, one thing that's come through is that I've seen three or four or five SMSs about the cost of the world being prohibitive to drafting one. Is that the case? I know that there are certain attorneys that charge just exorbitant amounts of money, but what should someone expect to to pay for a will to be drafted? I mean, it's hard to answer that question uh, because it depends on the complexity. But for a simple will, I would say if you're going to pay for the will, you'd look at probably a thousand rand. Oh, come on. Bear in mind that probably to draft that will will take at least an, um, I beg your pardon, to have a consultation to draft the will. You're looking at probably an hour and perhaps another hour to draft the will itself. So that's two hours work. Um, so in my view, knowing how long these things take and how much attention you need to pay, a thousand rand wouldn't be a prohibitive Not cost. at all. But, but then if, if there's been a lot of consultation and the attorney or service provider is charging at an hourly rate, it might end up being more than that. But then again, if that's a concern, as I mentioned a bit earlier, the banks will normally present the service to, to bank clients, so depending which bank you bank with. And normally they won't charge an upfront fee to draft the will, but they will charge an annual fee to keep it in safe storage with them. So there are various options, and perhaps it's even important to mention that there is a National Wills Week run by the Law Society annually where various attorneys 
voluntarily do wills for clients who can't afford to pay for them for free. And that's normally in around September every year. So if if a person is in a situation where they really can't afford to pay for it, there are resources where you can get assistance without paying for a will. Hilary, if someone came to you and they came to you with a financial mess, they've got policies all over the show, they've got money all over the show, they haven't a clue what's going on. When they sit with you, would you be able to bring in the other arms of Citadel in order to help you to assist the client to tidy up all those silos of their life so that they can come to a one-stop shop, so to speak, deal with different professionals in different areas, but know that when they walk out the building, so to speak, their life's taken care of. I mean, that's exactly the beauty of how we do things at Citadel is we're able to deal with things holistically. I'm an attorney and my colleagues in fiduciary are attorneys. We are not financial advisors. So we work hand in glove with the Citadel financial advisors to make sure we're giving the client the best service they can receive from a fiduciary point of view and a financial advice point of view. So often people are dealing with different professionals, different service providers, whereas at Citadel you're having both your fiduciary and your investment advice under one umbrella and it works really well to make sure that everything is considered and dealt with properly. Hilary, as always, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the insight. I think we could chat over a cup of coffee for the rest of the, of the afternoon. I'm not quite sure how happy your bosses would be about that. But uh, <laughs> thank you for the insight. And, you know, people can just go to the Citadel website, go to the fiduciary um, um, box, and they'll find everything they need over there. Avi, thank you so much for the opportunity to chat about this very important issue. Fantastic. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good. That was Hilary Dudley, and she's the Managing Director of Citadel Fiduciary. I needed to demote her the previous time. Please, I cannot express how important it is to have your will done, to have it done correctly, have it done professionally, and the costs are not prohibitive. I happen to agree with what Hillary said, and not that I'm in a position to disagree with her, that the co-executorship is an important thing. If you go to a lot of the banks and you have them as a co-executor, they'll often draft the wall for free, and the safe custody is literally often under a 100 rand a year or 150 rand a year. Then you know there's a copy there. The bank's got a copy. You don't need to worry. And as she said, a case and scenario of her, of her late father, that if nothing fundamental changes and the wall is drafted correctly from day one it will last the test of time also just to let you know that we are known as the people of the book we are literary connoisseurs consumers of words and prose sharers of ideas in short we are readers the high fm is starting a book club we would like you to become one of high fm book readers you'll receive a book every month to review on the radio for our listening community it's social it's fun and it's mentally enlightening we are looking for people with a wide range of topics, sorry, for a wide range of topics and genres. Get in touch. Email books at highfm.com. That's quite straightforward. Books at highfm.com. And this is the last time I'm reading this um, campaign. I think it's absolutely crucial. As I said many times, this is your opportunity to get your place in the time capsule. The Jewish Community Survey of South Africa is closing this week, Thursday, the 25th of July. That's Thursday. This is your last chance to participate and give your say. Go to 
jcssa2019.co.za to sign up. For more information, go to jcssa2019.co.za or check out the Facebook book on facebook.com forward slash jcssa2019. Great, Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons, Tabo. Thanks for getting it together. We will speak to you next week.